Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 217 of the Box Hard Podcast. I am your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joe. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. This is the Box Hard Podcast. This is the same show that has brought you 75 world champions in 216 shows. 75 different world champions. The most international boxing podcast on the net. Um, but yeah, little plug there. Let's let's dive straight into the review part. We're going to start here at the Hangar in Costa Mesa, California last week in USA, of course. A shock, in my opinion, over here. An upset. Um, this is the first result I'm going to read of a weekend pack full of unexpected outcomes, I, I guess. Um, not necessarily always did the... Uh, the the underdog win when I'm saying that, but I mean even when the favourite won, the, the, the favourite won in circumstances which no one really saw. Um, but let's start though. Eves Ulysse Jr., a guy who had it in him to beat um, Cletus Seldin very handily. 18-1 and one was he going into the fight. Obviously the one loss was real controversial. The way he beat Cletus Seldin, who's a good fighter, made me think, do you know what, he has got a lot of promise, Eves Ulysse. Um, and I just liked his attitude and stuff. I had him down as possibly a future world champion. Anyway, he got in there with Ishmael Barroso, a man we know really well. Um, the fight was at 140 pounds, which I think means that Barroso perhaps moved up. I want to just double check that before I, um, you know, before I decide on it, just to make sure. Barroso. Well, no, he's been kind of fighting at like 138, stuff like that, in his last few fights. So I guess, yeah, he's he's pretty much a 140-pound fighter now. Um, obviously, he was at 135 when he boxed Crawler a few years ago. But Yves Ulysse Jr., a guy that I thought would be able to deal with him, well, it wasn't to be. He lost unanimously over 12 rounds. Um, that was 7-5 to five on one or two cards, sorry, and very wide. I think it was 9-3 to three on another card. Um, Barroso actually had a cut eye himself in the 12th and final round, but beaten very soundly there, Yves Ulysse Jr. That was a, you know, a result I, I had to look at and, and do a double take almost. Couldn't believe it. Also on the card, Jason Quigley, friend of the show now, 17-1, and one, a KO for him in three rounds against Abraham Cordero, who's now 13-5 and five with two draws. Um, moving out now to the ICC Exhibition Centre in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. Over here, we got to see Tim Tazu move to 15-0. and oh, It was a TKO for him in four rounds against Jack Brubacker, who's now 16-3 and three with two draws. That one was for the 
IBF Australasian Super Welterweight title. The corner threw the towel in um, for that for that finish there. Brubaker was taking some serious punishment. The uh, the towel came in. So Tim Tazu fifteen and zero. Bit of a uh, bit of a grudge match that one was. Also on that same evening, I believe it was, but in the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. Um, friend of the show, Michael Fox. We will be speaking to him at some point later on in the show. He's now 22-1. and one. It was a unanimous decision win for him over eight rounds against John Aralano. Um, very wide on the cards there. I think there may have even been a knockdown. I'll have to ask Mike because the uh, the scorecards were quite weird having a look at them now. 80-71 times two, so that would indicate a complete shutout over eight rounds plus a knockdown for Michael Fox. But then the other card was 78-73. So um, I'll have to ask what happened there because I haven't actually seen it. Um, Michael Fox, unbelievable that he makes 140 being about six foot four, And John Arellano... Um, I think he was previously at lightweight or whatever, but he he also boxed. He's about six foot two as well. So big, big guys for their weight. Uh, moving out now though to the Bell Center in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Once again, this is another one where, in my opinion, it didn't go the way we thought we'd go. David Lemieux, former world champion, now forty-one and four inside forty-five fights. He took on Maxim Bursak. Obviously, you know, a decent fighter to a certain level. He was supposed to box. Billy Joe Saunders, the fight never ended up happening. Anyway, it went down as a split decision win for David Lemieux. I think David Lemieux was on the canvas twice during the fight, which I'm absolutely shocked about. Um, Bursak, I think, was down once as well himself, if I'm not mistaken. But unbelievable there, just to see that. A split decision win for David Lemieux. Um, I can't believe Bursak was able to take the punches. I can't believe Lemieux was on the floor, but... um, a lot of people screaming that that was a bit of a hometown decision there and that Bursak perhaps deserved to, to, to win that fight there. No belt on the line. Moving out now to Mexico, the Auditorio GNP Seguros in Puebla. Over here, there was a couple of belts on the line. Let's start here with the top of the bill, Emmanuel Navarrete, now 30-1, and one, a WBO World Super Bantamweight title defense against Francisco Horta, who's now 20-4 and four with one draw. It was a TKO in the fourth round there for Navarrete, no real shock there. Jerwin Ancajas also on the bill. He's now 32-1 and one with two draws. Um, he defended successfully his IBF World Superflyweight title against Miguel Gonzalez. He was able to TKO Gonzalez in the sixth round. Gonzalez now 31-3. and three. Um, And then moving out to Saudi Arabia at the Diria Arena. Um, let's start with the undercard. We have to start with the undercard. Um, we're going to start here with Diego Pacheco, a young prospect. He got a first-round knockout against Selemani Saidi, who's now 20-16 and 16 with with five draws. Diego Pacheco, 8-0. and 0. Also on the bill, we got to see um, Mohamed Majidov, a guy that holds a win in the amateurs over Anthony Joshua. He boxed Tom Little. He was able to TKO Tom Little in two rounds. It was a real mismatch, really, when you think about it. Tom Little now 10-8. and 8. I still want to see him fight um, Dave Allen, to be honest, but I mean, yeah, it, it was what it was. We knew what was going to happen. It was a foregone conclusion. When Tom Little went down, um, to his credit, he got straight back up and he just thought to himself, forget this, I'm just going to swing, you know, and he really did swing from the rafters. He just went for it. It was real ballsy because he was hurt, he was down, and he just got back up, fought fire with fire, but he ended up getting getting staggered a few times, I think is, is, is fair to say. He... he 
I'm not sure he was going to go down, but a few times he got hit. I'm not sure if he was off balance or what, but he just looked a bit unsteady. He um, he got staggered a couple of times, and the referee just jumped in. And to be honest, I felt like the referee did him a favour there. So um, no complaints from me. Um, also on the bill, Dillian White got a win over Marius Wack. A lot of people saying it wasn't impressive. I actually missed it, and people are begging me to not watch it back. So I'm not going to. Apparently, it was a dreadful performance. Dillian White returned, though, um, and, and he's now 27-1, and a 10-round unanimous decision against Marius Wack, who's never really in a good fight. <laughs> Can't really say that about too many heavyweights. He's now 35 and 6. Um, Ayaz, did you watch any of the Dillian White fight? Was he was he bad to watch, or did you not see it? I, I did not see that fight as well, myself. Perhaps we've both, we've both made a good decision by missing that one, though, by what we're hearing. Filip Hergovic moved to 10-0. and 0. It was a TKO for him over three rounds against Eric Molina, former world title challenger times two, I believe he is. Wasn't it Wilder and uh, Joshua, I think so? Anyway, he's now 27-6. and six. Another loss for Molina. It was for the WBC international heavyweight title. Um, to be honest, from what I saw of that fight, I mean, Molina was actually getting hit in, in the back of the head. I mean, I think he did try and milk it time and time again, but the referee wasn't having any of it. And I felt like it was a little bit harsh. And the final punch, I mean, he clearly got hit in the back of the head and he went down and the referee again just started counting and ended up counting him out. So, I mean, a little bit controversial, but, um, you know, <laughs> it was what it was. There was no real sympathy from the ref, who I, who I thought had a bit of a... A bad performance, honestly. But, I mean, he was probably looking for a way out anyway, Eric Molina. A uh, friend of the show, I wish him all the best. And also on the bill, Alexander Povetkin, 35-2. and two. He's now got a draw. He drew with 18-1, and one, now 18-1 and one with one draw. Michael Hunter, friend of the show. Um, yeah, a split draw. One judge giving it to Hunter by two rounds. That was the Italian judge. One judge giving it to Povetkin by two rounds. That was the Russian judge. Of course, he did the Russian a favor. Um, and then the final card that came in, the American Glenn Feldman didn't do Michael Hunter a favor. He didn't do a favor for his um, for his fellow native like we saw the Russian do for Povetkin. He gave it a draw. 114-114. So a split draw there. Um, the wrong decision, in my honest opinion. I'm going to talk through the fight just here um the first round was was quite a shocking round it was a brilliant start from hunter um it was all out aggression it wasn't what i expected if i'm being honest you know he came straight out literally the first punch he threw was thrown with intent he was nailing pavekin time and time again with a with a with a one two you know straight shots the right hand would travel um quite a long way actually quite quite some distance and it was straight it was dead straight so he would he would double up you know he would throw the left and then straight behind it Boom, with a right. It was boom, boom, one, two. Real good stuff. Um, you know, the speed of Hunter was troubling Povetkin straight away. He perhaps might have caught Povetkin cold. I don't know. But, you know, Povetkin's legs dipped twice in that round. And I couldn't believe the start that Hunter had made. I thought, wow, is he going to is he gonna get an out here early? Because that would be real impressive. The second round, once again, Hunter was able to pick his shots nicely. The skills of Hunter... Um, Perhaps they don't always look pretty on the eye to everyone, but it's clever stuff. His ring generalship is right up there with the best heavyweights in that division, you know. Um, 
Povetkin did hit Hunter with a big right hand that worried me for a second in that second round, but for me it was another Hunter round. Some people gave that one to Povetkin, though, I believe. The third round, Povetkin, I felt, might have nicked it, but it was a real close round. I mean, no one really did anything big. It was quite a scrappy round, to be honest. Uh, round four, again, another real close round. I felt like it could have gone either way, but I felt Hunter might have just pinched it. Um, the fifth round, Hunter actually got nailed with a big right hook from Povetkin. Povetkin caught him with the same shot twice. It was it was a finishing shot of a combination. He'd load up with his left hook, which we know you know he really does load up with that left hook. But he was he was when he was throwing a combination, he was kind of ending it on a right hook, and it was almost as if Hunter had been reading his previous combinations and never expected it to end on a right hook it was almost like that happened because he kept getting hit with the last punch of the combination which always was a big right hook it was like he didn't expect it and Hunter actually was rocked and the ropes may have held him up honestly if I'm being completely completely honest I feel like the ropes might have just held him up there he may have gone down but of course a knockdown wasn't scored and thank god for that because I'm biased <laughs> but I'm trying to remain not biased because I did that when I was scoring it um you know Hunter held on straight away you know he held he grabbed hold of um, Povetkin and he got through the round I mean Hunter's nose started to bleed at that point um Povetkin for me won that round so I had it 3-2 to Hunter after 5, but again, I felt like some people could have easily had it 3-2 to Povetkin. The 6th round, for me, was a Hunter round. Um, you know, he got back to his boxing, thank God for that, and he, he really utilised his jab, which he perhaps neglected in the previous two or three rounds he started to jab very nice to the head and body brilliant brilliant jab to the body michael possesses honestly it's it's a shot that you don't see heavyweights throw it's um it's mayweather-esque but he's a big guy um round seven for me a michael hunter round a good action round you know hunter started off um boxing smartly again in the beginning and when he did that pavetkin was second best 24 7 but then Povetkin landed a good right hook on Hunter, and Hunter, um, I think, hurt Povetkin as well to the body, and he had some big moments. He was teeing off on Povetkin. In round eight, I gave it to Hunter once again. It was a bit of a nothing round. I mean, the tidiest stuff I felt came from Michael Hunter rather than Povetkin. So again, um, I had it either 6-2 or 5-3 to Hunter. And then going into the final four rounds, round nine, a close round. Could have gone either way. Povetkin looked really tired. Again, though, I still felt Hunter might have just done enough to grab it. Round 10, definitely a Hunter round. He was just a bit too cute for Povetkin. Povetkin was really tired at that point. Hunter wasn't really overexerting himself. The round wasn't one-sided as such, but he just did enough to win and win clearly. Um, and he landed some great body shots again in that 10th round. The 11th round was a massive round for Michael Hunter. Again, the straight right hand paid off for him, and Povetkin showed an unbelievable chin. I couldn't believe he was still on his feet at the end of the round. Hunter needed to keep something in the tank, though, for the final round. I felt like... Um you know, he, he couldn't afford to fry it all away and pour all of his energy into, into the 11th round because Povetkin didn't go anywhere and you knew Povetkin had to give it his all. Or you certainly thought he had to give it his all to, to try and, you know, be in with a chance of, of, of have, you know, having a close a close couple of cards perhaps. But little did we know he was already winning the fight on one card and, um, you know, and it was very close on the other card. And in the 12th round, it was a scrappy round. Povetkin came on strong in the last round Hunter seemed to tire. Um, 
I think I gave that last round to Povetkin. So, yeah, that round there probably lost Hunter the fight, unfortunately. I'm not saying he shouldn't have done what he did in round 11. He did what he had to do. He's a smart fighter. He knows a lot more about what, you know, what he's got in his tank than I do and stuff like that. But in that 12th round, um, you know, Povetkin had to just go balls to the wall, really, because... You know, he, he, in everyone's eyes, he was losing, apart from the Russian judge. And because he won that round, that's probably... I haven't seen the actual scorecards from the judges round by round. If anyone's got them, send them in to me, please, on Twitter, at Boxcar Podcast. But I think where Povetkin won that last round, that's where the draw card from Glenn Feldman... You know, that's probably where you give him that round and it ended up being a draw. And then, obviously, um, you know, that's that's what ended up being a split draw. Um, if he'd have won that last round, I'm sure Glenn Feldman would have probably had it to Hunter. Um, but yeah, you know, good stuff. Where do both men go? Um, I'll come to you first, Ayers, actually. I'm sure you, you've seen the fight. If you want to say a couple of words on it, of course, take it away. But also, where do both men go from here? Povetkin, 40 years of age now. Okay, uh, I mean, it was a good fight. I mean, for, for me, Hunter should have won the fight. Where do both men go? For me, I think they should do a rematch. Um, obviously, there's a talk about uh, Anthony Joshua fighting next to the UK. I think he should be on that undercard. Um, and obviously, I think I think Mike Hunt should get his revenge and win, and hopefully, he'll do the, and get the W on his record. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely welcome the rematch. Um, it was a tough fight, though, and I, I just felt bitterly disappointed. Not with Michael, but with the judge. The judges. The the Russian judge was was absolutely abysmal. Um, the American judge, like I say, didn't do Mike any favors. I felt like he had it way too close. I mean, I again, my final scorecard was I was torn on a round. So I either had it eight four to Mike or nine three. And I swear on my life, I was trying to be as fair as could be. Again, I've said it there. There was a couple rounds which could have gone either way, but I gave them to Povetkin. So that's me being fair. But um, yeah, you know, it was what it was. You know, these things happen, and I want to see Mike perhaps pushed on because I think the majority of people, including all the Sky commentary, everyone ringside. They all had Michael Hunter winning. No one I've seen, not even one person I've seen on Twitter or anywhere, had the fight to Povetkin. So for me, Mike won the fight. I want to see him pushed on. Um, and it was some kind of eliminator, I believe, for the WBA. So I'd like to see them try and push him up in the rankings, even though he officially didn't get the win. But I want to see him in some bigger fights. But yeah, the rematch, you know, I think he probably would want it again because Mike is crazy in a good way. Um, but yeah, I, I'd, if, if it were to happen again, I think he wins in better fashion. I think he doesn't get too involved. I think when he was boxing, he was just in control. And as long as he doesn't give Povetkin a chance to mix it with him, then he wins, you know, for me, quite clearly. So uh, yeah, we'll leave that one there. All the best to Mike going forward. And let's now talk about the main event I has. We went to the predictions on it. Um, we also went to the predictions on Hunter Povetkin, by the way. Um let me just fetch them. I went with Hunter points. So did you, I. So did the listeners. It was unanimous, but it wasn't on the scorecards. It was a draw, so no points gained there. And then the main event, me and you, I. both went with Ruiz to win by knockout. The listeners went with Joshua to win by knockout. We were all wrong. It went to points. No one predicted that had happened. Uh, therefore, no points gained this weekend with our prediction league. But the, the fight itself, I mean, Andy Ruiz was was really bad in my honest opinion. Um, he, he loses all of his belts now. Thirty-three and two. Um, Anthony Joshua now twenty-three and one. Obviously a two-time 
um, heavyweight champion now. And Andy Ruiz has, has lost his first fight very clearly. Because that other loss was real close. Could have gone either way. This is the first time he's lost Evidently, hands down, it wasn't even close. So he's got to be disappointed with himself and all the decisions he'd made going into the fight. But just talk me through it, Ayaz. What did you make of it? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't the greatest fight, to be honest. So we all thought he's going to be a knockout, or uh, Josh Ruiz and Ruiz knockout, or Joshua knockout. Uh, for me, Joshua. Uh, it reminded Joshua reminded me of Vladimir Klitschko with the uh, jab, jab, and hold, jab, jab, grab. Andy Reese came in overweight, did not look the greatest, said they didn't train. To me, for me, it's, it's just a one-sided fight. Couldn't really say much about it. Just, just reclaimed his bike back, belts by looks like Anthony Josh, uh, when Andy Reese won the fight, he made a lot of money, partied, and didn't train well. And this is what happened to him. Obviously, Joshua wanted to keep it safe and just won, went to distance, won the fight on points. Yeah, it seems like Andy Ruiz really shot himself in the foot, and I'm gonna I'm gonna discuss a couple of topics surrounding the fight after I just give my quick breakdown here. The first round, you know, it was a good start from Anthony Joshua. He was boxing smartly. He was actually moving his feet really well. He was picking his shots great. He kept his distance. Um, he, he seemed extremely focused. He won the round, and he even cut the left eye of Ruiz with a with a right hand. I mean, Ruiz didn't land anything really in the first round, so a great start there from AJ. The second round, another Joshua round. Um, he, I think, was cut on his left eye himself. But again, I was impressed with Joshua. He stayed disciplined. You know, there was one point where he did trade, but he quickly stopped himself from getting too involved. It was real disciplined stuff. The third round, another AJ round. The question was, though, could he keep the discipline and box to a to a defensive-minded game plan for the whole 12 rounds it was yet to be seen we'd never seen anything like that from him before so for me he won the first three rounds round four another round for Joshua Um, Ruiz did finish strong he was able to get inside at the back end of the round it was encouraging signs for him but he didn't really um, he didn't really waste any energy Um, I felt like even though Anthony Joshua was winning the rounds he wasn't really putting a dent in Ruiz and therefore Ruiz was willing to to kind of let the fight go late because he probably was thinking AJ's going to tire late on and you know AJ was so concentrated you know the mental pressure that he was under you felt like it would tire at some point you know he'd tire at some point with all that pressure on him and you know the concentration and stuff like that you felt like he'd fade but um, Ruiz perhaps was banking on that but it didn't really come Um, the fifth round you know, Joshua, again, was still in full control. No signs at that point that he was tiring or slipping in concentration. The rounds were starting to slip away from Ruiz. He was already approaching the point in the fight where he'll need a stoppage to win. Um, you know, perhaps, again, that was probably the, the the game plan all along. He probably didn't, didn't you know, plan to win on points anyway. Round six, a great round for AJ. I really liked his demeanor at that point in the fight. You know, his, his jab was exquisite. It was a perfect performance from him. Um, going into the second half of the fight, again, round seven, Joshua won that round for me. Let go of the right hand a little bit more than usual um, in in terms of his previous rounds on that night. Um, and when the pair traded, both men would miss the big shots. Um, so, you know, Joshua was, was doing well to, to not get hit when trading. It was all Joshua, though, and I couldn't really express enough at that point how smart he'd been while boxing in there. Uh, the eighth round, for me, I actually gave that one to Ruiz. Um, AJ seemed to abandon the smart tactics for whatever reason. He got wobbled, definitely, in that round. 
Um, and I was thinking, could it all be about to unravel for Anthony Joshua after a very smart fight? Was he tiring? Was he losing concentration? Um, it was going to be a you know interesting ninth round, but in the ninth round, AJ came out. He landed a quality shot um, in the round. I can't remember which punch it was, but he seemed like he got a little bit too excited and. I think he thought Andy was there for the taking after he landed that good shot. I think it was a right hand. It must have been a right hand. And, um, you know, he tried to go for Andy, but then he came off worse. And, you know, it just, it just kind of reminded me, every time AJ would trade with Ruiz, he always comes off second best. Ever since the first knockdown in the first fight back on June the 1st, you know, where Ruiz got knocked down. That was the only ever time where Joshua got the better of a trade-off. Ever since Ruiz got back off the, <laughs> got back off the canvas... Every single time they'd trade, Ruiz always would, would get the better of it. So, um, yeah, they traded there, and then Ruiz got the better of it again. But, um, yeah, you know, AJ won that round. It was just a moment that Ruiz had. The 10th round, another AJ round. I had it 9-1 after 10 rounds for AJ. I think some people gave Ruiz two rounds in the entire fight. I only gave him one. Uh, round 11 for, for for me, another AJ round. And then round 12, another AJ round. Um, it was just... I mean, it was what it was. Um, one point I want to I want to arise, and again, I, I said I'm going to speak about a couple points here. I remember a lot of people were saying that Fury against Klitschko was one of the worst heavyweight fights ever. But for me, this one was way more boring. I mean, all in all, I felt a little bit sad to to, to lose out on 25 pounds because I paid for the pay per view. You know, uh, there was a couple of mismatches: Molina versus Hergovic, Little versus Majidov. The bad decision in the Hunter fight left me with a sour taste in my mouth and the shocking performance from Dillian White, which I actually missed, thank God, and then topped off by a real a real boring action kind of performance. There wasn't you know, it was it was quite actionless, wasn't it, really? Um after you know, after the the first fight just made us think, wow, we need to see that one again. What's going to happen? AJ's going to get put to sleep again, many people thought. And he didn't lose a round, and he didn't really risk it at any point. And I respect that from a boxing standpoint, 100%. But from an entertainment standpoint, it was one of the most boring fights I've seen. Um, we, we we did all expect fireworks, you know? They, they do often say that rematches are never as good as the first fight, and... That's not always the case, but it certainly was the case in that fight there. Um, but yeah, I just want to give a lot of credit to Rob McCracken. You know, he got a lot of disrespect after the first fight. There was talk that AJ should leave him. I think Rob McCracken did a tremendous job, um, you know, getting AJ disciplined, working out the game plan. And um, like I say, no one has ever beaten Andy Ruiz in a in that much of a dominant fashion, certainly since he's been a professional. Um yeah, it was underwhelming from Ruiz, you know, very bad in terms of the partying and stuff like that. He's completely, you know, he's he's completely to blame, really, for, for the poor performance. Um, and his, his excuses afterwards weren't good enough. You know, you can't just say, oh, I've been partying, I haven't been training, I've been training myself only for three months and stuff like that. You know, he's really, really... Um, perhaps lost the hunger for boxing, you know, all that money he won, he's been paid here for a second time, he never has to box again, so in in some ways he's a bit of a legend, but, um, you know, he, he really could have won that fight, and that would have been the end of it, he could have gone and boxed Deontay Wilder for millions once again, um, AJ did prove to us that he can box to a plan, I mean, I know I read that on Twitter, and a lot of people said, hey, what about the Parker fight, he boxed to a plan in the Parker fight, for me, he did, but he gave up many rounds, I mean, that one... 
if I remember correctly, I think Parker probably won about five rounds or something like that, if I remember correctly. And the referee was literally breaking them every single time Parker got in close. So, you know, for this for this fight here, I don't think the referee did AJ that many favours. I think he was breaking them when they got close, but not badly. It wasn't like, oh, this is blatant ridiculous referee and I didn't think the referee did too bad and AJ wasn't holding every single time I know that you touched on it it was a little bit Klitschko-esque but it wasn't excessive I don't think there was a, a point where you could say hey the referee's got to take a point off whereas in the in the Parker fight I think he was holding too much Anthony Joshua so it can be a skillful thing to, to hold at the right time but not excessively um, but again boxing fans you know they 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 do have short memories and I'm not saying that you know, directly to the listeners here, I'm saying it about myself as well. We all have short memories. Mine's probably shorter than everyone's because my memory in general is absolutely dreadful. Um, but we've got short memories and, and we look at this, well, not not me in particular, but some people look at this and say, Anthony Joshua, oh, he'd get knocked out by Wilder. Listen, I thought he'd get knocked out by Wilder anyway, ever since um, quite a while now I've had that thought I can't remember when I changed my mind I thought uh, originally that AJ would win that fight should it happen but now I think Wilder knocks him out and it's not just because of that performance there but a lot of people now are saying it based on that performance for me he actually showed us another side of his game you know he can box disciplined for 12 rounds and he never really looked tired you know he he moved excellently his feet were tremendous I've never seen him move like that he was you know he was glancing around like you know, not like a heavyweight. He was glancing around like a middleweight, you know? And that was impressive. So he showed us another side of his game that we've never seen before. If anything, that makes him better because he's got two ways to box. He can bang people out or he can just box very smart and, and, and box on the outside and keep dancing and moving. We didn't know he could do that. He's got that in his locker. And for me, that doesn't mean he's any less of a fighter than he was before the Ruiz fight, you know? He, if anything, has got another side to his game as I've as I've said a couple times in the last minute um so yeah I don't think people should hate on him based on that performance I think he won and won clear he didn't get the knockout but so what you know it's not all about knockouts in boxing look at look at Floyd Mayweather it's about boxing smart and he did that whether it was boring or not is another thing um yeah I still think you know Fury and Wilder sit above him there and um, obviously the ring being as big as what it was it was absolutely huge I mean that was crazy that Andy Ruiz actually agreed to a ring size like that but that's his that's his uh that's his that's his own problem there but yeah again just I don't want to keep banging on about Fury but you know his win against Klitschko for me was was way more exciting but all in all AJ did box very clever uh, but the fight from an entertainment standpoint you know it didn't live up to expectations it wasn't as dramatic as the first fight at all nowhere near um, so yeah, it is what it is. But back to the other fights, um, we are going to leave Saudi Arabia and now go to um, to the Polideportivo Vicente Trueba in Torre La Vaga, Cantabria, Spain. Over here, um, Kiko Martinez, former world champion, picked up win number forty. He's got nine losses and two draws. It was a points win over ten rounds against Alexander Cazares, who's now seven. Uh, sorry, sixteen and eleven. Um, also on the bill, Sergio Garcia, the guy that slayed the big cheese, Ted Cheeseman. He's now thirty-one and oh, it was a, another defense of his EBU European Super Welterweight title against Fouad El Masudi. Um, that one was on points over 12 rounds. It was a bit of a mismatch, really, on paper. Masudi, um, 
three and three in his last six fights going into that fight. It's another loss for him. He's now 17 and 12. How on earth did he get in position to fight for the European title? I'll never know. And the final bill to mention at the Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, USA. Uh, this one was on Showtime. I had to stream it. Uh, it was on Premier Sports as well, but you had to pay for that. I had a brilliant stream, by the way. The stream I had was crystal clear, HD. It didn't give me any um, any lag or whatever at all. And to be honest, if, if every stream could be as good as that one, I'd never pay for a pay-per-view. It was unbelievable. Um, this one was, by the way, promoted by TGB Promotions, which, of course, is Tom Brown, and Lions Only Promotions, the new promotional outfit from Jamel and Jamal Charlo. I actually think it was Jamel, who wasn't boxing on the bill, who, who actually... Um, played the promoter role of his of his twin brother's card so very interesting but anyway Jamal Charlo picked up a win it's now 30 and 0 for him TKO win in the seventh round over Dennis Hogan the very tough and gutsy um, former 154 fighter so it's Jamal Charlo to be honest but yeah Jamal Charlo was just too good for Dennis Hogan he's a tough guy Hogan he really is he's right up there with some of the toughest guys in the middleweight division I'd like to see him take on a Gabe Rosado or a Maciel Selecki someone like that that'd be a good fight for him Um, but yeah Hogan was down in round four and round seven where he was TKO'd that one of course was for Charlo's WBC world middle title. Uh, moving down the undercard, just two fights to mention. Marlon Tapales now 33-3. and three. He was TKO'd in 11 rounds by Ryosuke Iwasa, 26-3. Um, and three. That one was for the interim IBF World Super Bantamweight title. Tapales was down in the third round and that 11th round where, we, where he was TKO'd. Um, and Iwasa really, really showed up. I think Iwasa's the guy that TJ Doheny beat, they're talking about perhaps getting that on, uh, they'd like a rematch there, Doheny, um, he'd like the rematch with Iwasa, and also on the undercard, a fight I was thoroughly looking forward to, Chris Eubank Jr. boxed for the interim WBA world middleweight title against Matty Korobov, I felt like, you know, Korobov was worth a punt on points, well, Freak injuries happen, few and far between, but when they happen, especially on the big stage, it is just so shocking, you know, it's happened time and time again, I remember like Terry Flanagan against Jose Zapida, this was pretty much the same kind of stuff, um, Matty Korobov after the first round, um, he seemed okay, then in the second round he dislocates his left shoulder, and that was it, so um, it ended with, with a TKO in two rounds for Chris Eubank Jr., so he's won the belt, he's now 29-2, and two, but not the American debut he would have been hoping for, Matty Korobov, very, very um, unfortunate career I feel like he's had you know brilliant amateur turned over you know tricky southpaw he was knocking people out I think early on in his career Um, he was winning the fight against Andy Lee till he got knocked out he probably should have got a win against Jamal Charlo he lost controversially on points and then here another big fight for him as he's getting up there in age and he loses because he dislocates his shoulder so he has been plagued with bad luck hopefully a quick turnaround for him or that could perhaps be the end Uh, we want to see Chris Eubank Jr. perhaps moved up and they're talking about him and Jamal Charlo. I'd like to see that. Definitely, I'm all for that one. But that is it, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the top super lightweight contender. It is, of course, Mr. Michael Fox. Mike, welcome back on the show. Uh, thank you for having me once again. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure, Mike. So we last spoke back in August. Um, I think it was just before the UD Bernardo fight, actually. Uh, just just a word on that one for those that didn't see it. How did that one go for you, Mike? 
Oh, uh, we got a unanimous decision, uh, 10 round, uh, pretty much landslide, shutout, you know, 100 to 90. Um, you know, everything went smooth. Everything was clicking on all cylinders. Everything just, just uh, good camp, great fight. Everything just went, went great. And again, you've been pretty active because you just grabbed another win on the weekend against John Aralano. Talk us through that one. Oh, uh, yeah, that was, uh. Um, the eight rounder, uh, just to, you know, finish up the year, um, in Philadelphia, um, you know, put him down, I put him down, uh, I sort of knocked down, um, he was tough though. He, he was tough. He got up, uh, he got up fighting harder than, than he did when he, uh, before he got knocked down. So shout out to Johnny Ariano. Yeah. Cause I seen, um, I seen the scorecards 80 to 71 twice. Now that would obviously indicate that you won every round and scored a knockdown, but then there was another scorecard 78, 73. And I was thinking what on earth happened there? Um, so yeah, that, I'm guessing that judge must've given Arellano two rounds and, uh, something like that. Anyway, it was a bit confusing when I read it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he came to fight. He did come to fight. So, you know, um, I figured he, you know, he, it, two round, he probably could have got two rounds somewhere. And, and I mean, it was, I watched the fight a couple of times. Um, I mean, we 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 uh we exchanged. I took I took a few shots uh and, and on, on the way to my victory. So it was it, I it wasn't too crazy. Okie dokie. And of course, your brother Alontes, he's got a big fight coming up December twenty first in London against Liam Williams. Uh, we had Alontes on last week's show. How do you see that one playing out, Mike? I'm sure you've done a bit of homework on Williams as well. Yeah, um, well, well, Liam Williams, he, he he's tough, and um, he 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 got he got a good, he's got good names on his uh, resume. Um, I think you know if uh, as long as Lantez uses his height the way he's supposed to, um, I think I'm not gonna say he's gonna have an easy time in uh in, in London, but you know it's um it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot it's gonna be easier for for him to secure a win. You know, um, the height the height difference. Um, my my brother's uh, uh movement. And um, a good sharp jab, I think that'll give uh, Liam Williams a lot of trouble. Um, you know, we are going into uh, hostile territory, so we have every every win. I mean, every uh, round has to be decisive. Um, um, and 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 uh, whether it goes the whole uh, goes the full distance or it ends early, regardless, he has to be decisive, especially actually if it goes to decision. So, um, you know, we've just been working hard. This has uh, been excited for this one. Um, he's had a lot of he's had plenty of time to prepare. Where the last couple of fights have been on short notice, so I think you'll see a better Alante uh, Fox than we've seen uh, than we've seen recently. Not to say that he's looked bad, but he just—if you thought he's looked good, he's look, he's hoping to look better than that. Cannot wait for that one. Um, obviously, you're you're making the trip over as well. You're gonna you're gonna get a big thick jacket before you come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got I got a, I hope I got a good. I got a, I got a couple coats, man. So you know, um, I'm bring, I got one. I got I got one. We get we get some cold. We get some cold winters over here. So on our side of America, we get we get a, we get some cold winters. So I think I got a. Uh, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> and I want to get your reaction to Anthony Joshua's win over Andy Ruiz Jr. on the weekend. Obviously, you know, some people are criticizing, some people aren't. How was his win perceived over there in the States, Mike? Um, I think it depends on just who you ask. Um, a lot, I, I looked on Twitter, you know, I follow a lot of fighters, a lot of different fighters. Um, so I, I'm hearing box, some people say boxing clinics, some people are saying um, he's far scared and whatnot. I mean, my thing is, and, and, and the adjustments he made, I mean, we, we all knew he couldn't go in the same way. We knew he couldn't go in the same way. So 
And what exactly did y'all want him to do? Those who said he fought scared. Um, but, I mean, to me, I think he looked good. Um, I think the weight, losing that weight actually helped because um, I think um, had he come, come back the same weight he was in the first fight, he wouldn't have been able to keep up uh, that, the lateral movement for, uh, for 12 rounds. So I think that, I think that, uh, that, that weight loss uh, really benefited him. He came in looking a lot slimmer, had more of a uh, kind of more of a boxer's build, and less of a kind of a. To me, he's always looked like a uh, like a power lifter in there. That kind of uh, that that kind of that's just had a good trainer. This time he this time he actually looks like a, he actually looked like a boxer. This is the first time I actually seen Anthony Joshua moving lateral like that. It was uh it, it was it was it was impressive the way he made those adjustments. Um, I like I like I like the I like the way the fight went. Um. I'm 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 actually happy that Anthony Joshua won just because right after his loss, everyone's like, "Yo, we need a new trainer, man." Somebody, nah, tell him, man, he got he get a better trainer. He did, he that. He ain't gonna do it. He like he, you know, he he's he's a uh, flash in the pan. I'm like, dude, you get one loss, that's where we going. After winning the gold medal and winning three of the four major titles, man, he's a flash in the pan. That's one hell of a flash in the pan. That and he made what twenty million dollars, something like that for that loot uh, and that loss. That's not a flash in the pan to me. So. I was happy for him. Uh, I was actually happy for him just to quiet everybody down, man. He just, he did deserve that. I'm disappointed in uh, how Andy Ruiz came back to the uh, to the ring, you know, um, with his with his with his weight gain and everything. You know, it's disappointing because like you know, there's a rematch clause. That means you know, you know, business isn't concluded yet. You know, you got one win over him. You got to do it one more time. You know, business hasn't business that business hasn't been concluded. And I mean, you went on the victory. So what you should have big big. Big time in your life, but that victory show has to end, and you get back to work. But um, I don't think it's the end of Andrew Ruiz either. I think um, Andrew Ruiz is still a dangerous fighter. He's still someone who has a lot of. There's still a lot of big potential fights for him. Um, you know, I don't. This isn't the end of him, and um, you know, people are gonna really ridicule him and, and get that and get on him the way they did Buster Douglas when he came back uh, when he gained a bunch of weight. So, you know, he just got. It's just, just gonna be a shot of redemption. His, his next fight is gonna be redemption for him. I don't know, and he, I, I, I can honestly say I don't know if he'll get a rematch against uh, Anthony Joshua. I think Eddie Hearn is like you got past him. Let's move on. So I think he kind of kind of dropped that opportunity, but you know there, there there's more fights to be made. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It'd be interesting to see both men's next move. I think uh, you know I, I want to see Andy Ruiz back, you know, in a big fight because after he lost to Parker, he just disappeared off the face of the earth and. Any other fight that he has after this one's going to be such a drop down in level in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the payday and stuff like that. I hope he doesn't disappear again. But since we last spoke, Mike um, Regis Progre and Josh Taylor unified their world titles. Of course, Taylor ended up getting the victory on the night. Do you identify Taylor as the best fighter at 140, or do you believe Jose Ramirez is? It's surely between those two. Well, yeah, definitely between those two. Um, if I had to. If I had to choose, I like the way I like Ted, Josh Taylor's uh, fight style a little better. But you got to You can't. You got to respect Jose Ramirez. Um, it's hard for me to say, to be honest. I, I can't really uh, decide between the two. Um, they need. They should just just fight, and, uh, and 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 one the winner becomes undisputed, and there's, then there's no there's no real, real debate. I think they're going to be a great. I think they're going to be a great fight though, because you know Josh Taylor. That was actually only the second time I've seen him fight and I didn't uh I I, I really appreciate um how he, how he 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 used his technical skills he uses technical skills to 
really best Regis Pro grades athletic abilities. So um, I think that's what that fight kind of boiled down to, uh, technical ability versus um, athletic ability. Um, Josh Taylor, Josh Taylor, um, he kept it pretty, he kept it pretty simple. Uh, using his jab, bring the left hand. When Regis Poirier tried to get inside, he showed he showed that uh, he showed Regis that he wasn't going to let him muscle him around. So um, that, uh, that, that, was, that was a damn good fight. And, I mean, and Josh Taylor's a damn good fighter. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, Ramirez has to get past Victor Postel, which won't be an easy task. That one takes place in China in February. Um, to be honest, in my opinion, that one could go either way. Um, and just, just finally, Mike, before I let you go, I'm asking this question to everybody in the month of December. Every December, I do the same thing here. What is on your wish list for um, for the following year. So for 2020, where can you be in a realistic world? Where can you be and where do you want to be this time next year? I think this time next year, realistically, I want to be um, somewhere in the top five, if not if not uh, uh, holding a mandatory position for, uh, for a future title opportunity. If I, if I had to be, if I have to be realistic, if I'm, if I'm being realistic about it, yeah. um, I think, you know, um, I mean, you know, I, I, got, I got ranked top in the top 15, at a, in the WBA and the IBF, um, the realistic goal is just keep climbing the ladder. You know, I, of course I could just, but I think in, in, in um, throughout my throughout the history of my career, it's been a little tough to get uh, a little tough to get fights. I think that that's going to be a little tougher. Um, you know, guys who, who are ranked higher are going to want to keep their rankings, and they're going to want to ascend. They're not really going to want to fight if I if I'm number fourteen and they're number nine or ten. They're like they're going to be looking at they're going to be looking forward, not looking at who's behind them. So, I think realistically, mandatory position or uh, somewhere in the top five. That's that's a, that's that's a realistic goal to me. Just climb the ladder. Just climb the ladder. You know, um, can't I can't I, I can't I can't be out here. Yeah, world title. It's, it's it's my year. I, I'm looking to have a big year in 2020. But realistically, I think a world title will come 2021. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Early early 20. Early 2021, but not yet. But yeah, realistic. That's the realistic amount. I'll finish one uh, by like, by the second half of the year. I'm I'm somewhere fighting for a bigger. Yeah, I think that's a fair enough realistic goal. Um, I of course hope that you get there. You know, um, it's not like you've had a you've had a you know a, a bad 2019. In my opinion, you've had a absolutely fantastic 2019. I mean. I thought that you'd be Ergashev, so that would mean that you'd be undefeated for the whole year. I know firsthand that you'd fight anyone. You and your brother will fight anyone anywhere. So um, credit to you. And just, I'm not going to say you need to improve loads. I'm just going to say more of the same. That, that'll that get you there, my friend. Believe me. And just finally, Mike, before I let you go, any closing words at all for our listeners? Just just lastly from yourself. Uh, man, um, thank you to everyone who uh, listens to the podcast when I'm on there. Thank you to everyone uh, around the world, if I have uh, any fans around the world, thank you, thank you for supporting me. Thank you to uh, thanks to my team, um, and, and thanks, and especially thanks to everybody back home where I built my foundation. Um, I want I'm thankful to everybody. Thank you to Marshall Kaufman uh, for for for, for uh, taking for putting time into me. Thank you to uh, my advisor Michael Rao. I'm, I'm uh, grateful for the year I've had. So. And I'm looking to make a big year, making a big year out of 2020. 
Absolutely. Listen, Mike, it's always great speaking with you, my brother. Um, like I say, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for what's next with you. Thank you for your time, and I'll see you real soon. Ah, uh, man. Thank you, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And shout out to uh, Box Hall Podcast. I always show love to uh, me and my brother. Um, so you always show love to the family, so thanks a lot. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. We seem to have lost Ayaz midway through the show, so it would just be me carrying uh, the, the the entire show uh, myself. But um, that's that's totally fine. Let's start, like I say, as per usual, with the news part of the show. Um, we're going to start here with the news that the Dillian White UCAD drug foul test situation thing has all been sorted out now um i'm not quite sure the ins and outs of course we never really do know the ins and outs with situations like this when it comes to boxing sadly that's why it is quite a hard sport to you know to follow and understand all the time it really is um you know there's a lot of things we don't know and even the insiders don't know but yeah that whole situation seems like it's cleared itself up and uh, as a result of that, Dillian White has been reinstated as the WBC interim heavyweight world champion. Um, so yeah, that's good stuff for him. Um, also, I should mention that Danny Garcia will be fighting Ivan Redcatch. That one to take place on January 25th at the Barclays Center in New York. Um, for me, it's another fight that Danny Garcia is having where... I mean, I don't want to call him a cherry picker, but he has had so many of these fights now against guys that are just nowhere near his level, you know? It's like he has one big fight for maybe five or six small fights, you know? You know, like boxing the likes of Brandon Rios when he did. Um, there's so many, so many names, you know? Your Rod Salkers. Um, he's just boxed so many guys that I've really not been interested in watching him against, but... He does this once again here. Um, also, I should mention former world champion Rob Brandt. He is now linked up with Terence Crawford's trainer. Um, that is Red Spikes and Brian Bomack. They now train Rob Brandt along with, of course, Jamel Herod and the rest of the gang. But anyway, Rob Brandt returns on the Hart versus Smith Jr. Um, Jesse Hart, Joe Smith Jr. undercard. He takes on Habib Ahmed, who, of course, we we saw um, in a big fight. Who did he box? He boxed someone recently, didn't he? For the uh, was it for a world title? Um, definitely saw him against someone. Can't remember who it was now. Um, but yeah, that is it for that. I believe that is pretty much all the news that I have for you. Um, yes, it is. So let's move on now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here at. A card that actually takes place later today at the Pabellón de la Val de Habron in Barcelona, Catalonia, Spain. Um, we're going to start here with um, friend of the show, former world champion David Avanesian, 25 and 3 with a draw. He's in a 12 rounder against Jose Del Rio, 29 and 8 with one draw. Um, also, Sandor Martin, um, 35 and 2, a little bit of a padded record. He puts his EBU European super lightweight title on the line against our very own Joe Hughes, former holder of the belt. Both men um, have boxed and lost to Anthony Yijit. But um, it should be decent there in Spain. 17-4 and four with a draw, Joe Hughes. Moving out now to Friday, tomorrow, at the Manez in Vladikazkaz in Russia. Um, Fedor Chudinov, 21-2, and two, former world champion. He takes on Hassan Endam, obviously friend of the show, 37-4. and four. That one actually may not be the best fight 
Um, stylistically, it may not be the most action-packed fight, but I actually... I actually like fights like that. I think that's an evenly matched 50-50 type of fight. Moving out now to a venue called Planet Ice. My type of venue in Cheshire, United Kingdom. Over here we get to see Camille Sokolowski, 8-15 with two draws. He takes on Josh Sandland, who's 4-1 with a draw. Um, this is some kind of heavyweight tournament. It's over three rounds, so I'm guessing the whole tournament unfolds and ends on the same evening. Jay McFarland, I think from Scotland, 10 and 4, he takes on the undefeated 5 and 0 Mark Bennett. Jonathan Palata, 7 and 0, he's in a three rounder of course against Danny Whitaker, 2 and 0, and a friend of the show actually, Nick Webb, 13 and 2, he's in a three rounder against Chris Healy, who's 8 and 6. So um not the most highest level guys, not even really English level guys, but that could be quite interesting. Um obviously Camille Sokolowski, it's good to see him in a tournament of this kind cuz He's a real dangerous journeyman. Um, moving out now to the Plovdiv in Bulgaria. Some strange venues. We're going we're gonna to start, though, with this one here for the vacant WBA International Cruiserweight title. Tavel Pulev, the brother of Kubrat, 14-0. and 0. Uh, He's in a 12-rounder against Deshaun Webster, who's 12-2 and 2 with two draws. Also on that undercard, Bogdan Dinu, former opponent of Kubrat Pulev, I believe. 18-2, and 2. no opponent just yet for him. Um... Moving out now to Germany at the Congress Centrum in Nordhain, Westfalen. Over here, again, another friend of the show, Mark DeMori, former opponent of David Hay. He returns against Laszlo Seen. Um, Mark DeMori, 37-2 and two with two draws. He's an eight-rounder against Laszlo Seen, 6-38. and 38. Bit of a... Bit of a mismatch there on paper. Come on, Big Mark. Uh, moving out now to the Brentwood Centre in Brentwood, Essex. This is a great card, by the way. Um, this is the the card that that um, again that that card I mentioned before with with Camille Sokolowski. That was an ultimate boxer card. This one here is the Golden Contract once again, um, an MTK format and a card by MTK once again, where we get to see, um, you know. Four four blue balls and four red balls, I believe it is, in a bag. And if you pick out a blue ball, then you get to choose your opponent. And the blue balls are numbered one to four. So if you pick out a blue ball, you got number one. Then you know another guy picks out number two, number three, number four. They all they all take um, a position to the left. And then all the guys that pick out red balls take a position to the right. And then all the guys on the left, whoever's got the number one ball, he can choose anyone on the right. And it goes like that, pretty much. So basically, the draw as it unfolded. Um, again, these are these are ten ten round contests. Um, we saw Stephen Ward twelve and zero take on Ricards Bolotniks fifteen and five with a draw. Um, Tommy Philbin thirteen and zero. I think he took the first pick. He got Serge Michel, who's nine and one. Um, Andre Sterling ten and one. Of course, the one loss came to Craig Richards in what was a great fight. He takes on Liam Conroy seventeen and five with a draw. That's a brilliant fight there, but perhaps the best fight of all. And it happened because everyone else had picked everyone else. So these guys didn't choose to fight each other. The last guy, the guy that picked number four, um, the, the fourth blue ball, he. 
he didn't have options. It had to be the last remaining guy. No one had picked Jose Burton, perhaps the danger man of the tournament, 24-1. and one, um, And Bob Adjusef had to take him. He was the last guy. So 19-3 and three, Bob Adjusef, both men former British champions. That one could be a brilliant fight. Um, it's unlike the 140 tournament that they did with O'Hara Davies. And, you know, we wanted to see the guys... There was a couple guys we wanted to see O'Hara Davies fight. Those fights didn't happen, and these ones, all the all the juicy fights are happening in the first round. So that that is good for boxing fans this Saturday at the Brentwood Centre. Also on that bill, I should mention Dan Aziz, ten and zero. He fights for the vacant English light heavyweight title against Lawrence Osuki, who's got a record of nine and zero with one draw. Um, also in a six rounder, but no opponent just yet. George Fox, three and zero, the son of Don Charles. That's a six rounder there. Moving out now to the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom. A few fights to mention on the bill. Um, we get to see the return of Harley Ben, 6-1. and one. Not quite sure if he's boxed since his loss, where he lost to a guy who had never won a fight in his pro career. He's in a six-rounder against MJ Hall, who's 2-47 and 47 with two draws. Also on the bill, former British champion Johnny Garton, 23-2 and two with a draw. He's in a six-rounder against Jordan Granham, who's 5-67 and, and 67 with two draws. Uh, moving out now to the Miff. I like that venue there. Is it, is it even happening? The Miff in Maplewood, Minnesota, USA. Um, over there, we get to see a former world champion and friend of the show. Great, great guy, Caleb Truax. I think it's this week since it's been about two years, I think, since he beat James DeGaulle at the Copper Box Arena. Um, his record, 30-4 and four with two draws, Caleb. He's in a 10-rounder against David Basajemi Vuli. Definitely saying that wrong, but anyway, he's got a record of 16-4 and four with a draw. That's over 10 rounds there. And the big one, I've really flown for it quite quickly here. The big one, of course, takes place at the MSG, the Madison Square Garden, New York, USA. Um, I'm going to start here, I think, with the undercard. Um, yeah, let's start with a guy that was on last week's show, George Cambosos Jr., obviously, the, the, the big, big sparring partner of Manny Pacquiao. Um, he is in a 10-rounder. His record 17-0. and 0. He takes on former world champion Mickey Bay. A real crossroads fight. Could be a blinder, that one. Mickey Bay, 23-2 and 2 with a draw. Certainly not done yet, Mickey Bay. Um, just been plagued with inactivity. He'd like to get back to... You know, to being a bit more active. Um, Michael Conlon, 12-0. and 0. He's in a 10-rounder against Vladimir Nikitin, 3-0. Both men undefeated. Both men have got that history from the Olympics where Nikitin got a very questionable decision over Michael Conlon. And that's what started the, uh, the, the middle finger poses that Conlon likes to do now. Every pitcher he's in, he's got his middle finger up. And um, it all started there because he didn't like the decision, so he stuck his middle finger up, I think, at the judges and the officials, and rightly so. I make him right there in Rio in 2016. He was wronged, but it's his chance here to make it all right again um, in the pros. And also on the bill, Richard Comey, 29-2. and He puts his IBF World Lightweight title on the line against Tiafimo Lopez, 14-0. and Friend of the show, Tiafimo Lopez. Richard Comey, a guy I've been trying to get on the show for a while, it, it um, almost happened. And um, it didn't in the end So yeah Perhaps we'll get him on at some point in the future But I really like Richard Comey Very very dangerous fighter Certainly a massive puncher 26 KOs from 29 wins His two losses were extremely extremely controversial Could have gone either way Both split decision losses He really could still You know could still 
call himself unbeaten because they were that close, you know. Um, obviously, Tiafimo Lopez, a guy that's on the up, he's still only 22 years of age, and he's in a rush, and I'm not quite sure why, but he's in a rush. He doesn't like to wait around. He's talk, you know, he's calling out the big names like the Lomachenkos. He really wants to fight Lomachenko, and, um, you know, he's his own man. He's a smart guy. We've had him on a couple times before. He really knows what he's talking about, and he's such a likable um, character. He's got that He's got that special something in him, you know, he's he's just got that ingredient, I feel, um, personality-wise, I suppose, that I can just see him going right to the top, he's got something special about him, and I'm talking about his personality, but I, I'm, I can also match that with his fighting style, a real exciting fighter, and, um, you know, didn't, didn't have the best performance last time out, everyone was criticising him, well, let's see how he fares against Richard Comey, because if he knocks Richard Comey out like he predicts, I think he's been saying, put your money on me, um, between rounds one to six or something like that. If he can deliver on that, then believe me, he is the real deal. But we seriously will find out the answer um, this Saturday night. Really looking forward to that one. And also Terence Bud Crawford, 35-0. and 0. Can he move to 36? He puts his WBO World Welterweight title on the line against the undefeated Igis Kavalowskis, 21-0 and 0 with a draw. That draw came to Ray Robinson in his very last fight. Again, Ray, Bo- Ray Robinson, the guy that also got a draw with our very own Josh Kelly. Um, just if if you haven't heard of Kavalowskis, he also was able to beat up and stop David Avanesian, obviously the guy that beat Kerman Leharaga, the guy that we're hoping will fight Josh Kelly at some point, but he's fighting t- later tonight, Avanesian. I mentioned him a few moments ago. So Igis Kavalowskis is a very good fighter. Um, I think he was quite a solid amateur as well, you know, so it's going to be interesting. I think he will have a couple of moments here and there, but of course you can't really pick against Terence Crawford, who is arguably the pound-for-pound king right now in boxing. I'm not saying he is. I know it's between a couple of guys at the very top, but he's right up there, and no one can argue with that whatsoever. Um, Yeah, we really should have gone to the predictions, I suppose, but we didn't. But we should have gone to him on the Comey fight and the Lopez fight and, of course, the the Crawford and... um, and Kavalaskis fight, but we didn't, unfortunately. So the Prediction League hopefully comes back real soon. But that is about everything for the preview part of the show. Thank you for sticking with me while I've been talking to myself here. It has been a, a little bit easier knowing that someone is listening to this. Um, so thanks for sticking with me for the preview part of the show. Just before I wrap everything up, the final thing, as always, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF featherweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Mr. Evgeny Gradovich. Evgeny, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here, my friend. Glad to have you here. So, Evgeny, I want to ask you a typical boxing question to start an interview. How did Uh you get into boxing in the very beginning? Oh, actually, it's just... uh, I was probably 12 years old. My brother... I live in small... The city is like village, maybe 15,000 people. And my brother went to boxing. And one day I said, well, why why not? I, I will go too. Uh, just for, because they, uh, for warm-up, boxers uh, used uh, soccer and basketball, terminus. Terminus, soccer, terminus, basketball. But I like, I, I very like soccer. That's why I go there. And uh, after maybe uh, one year in boxing, I already uh, beginning like not so good. 
I I begin like uh, boxing, <laughs> something something like that. Actually, my it uh, looks like my youngest brother uh, bring me to to my boxing. Okay, interesting story. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you you fought in the amateurs. What was your what what's the what's your one kind of best moment of your amateur career, Evgeny? Actually, actually, I had no no bad uh, amateur career. So and uh, the best moment uh, before before I go to professional, I uh, my last tournament was World World uh, of the Cup, Cup Cup of the World Petroleum Countries. Okay. And and I won uh, won the tournament and uh, go to professional. Okay, so you won the amateur tournament just before turning professional, and obviously, yeah, just actually, it was uh, tournament was in December before Happy New Year, and uh, in February I already went to United States. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Evgeny, because obviously you made your professional debut in uh, in the United States. How come you you left Russia and went to the States? Uh, my friend about from amateur career, uh, Sergey Kovalev. You probably know who is it. Yeah, probably. Every <laughs> uh, everybody everybody knows. Yeah, in boxing. So he we talked to him um, uh, when he maybe fought two or three maybe fights. I said, oh, it's good good idea. Go to professional. I maybe will try to professional too, but maybe it will be in Russia. I don't know for sure. He said, actually. Good idea. Uh, let's. I will talk my manager, Eddie Sklimas, about you. He, I say, oh, it will, would be good. And after maybe couple weeks, my manager, Eddie Sklimas, call me and say, you want a professional? I say, yeah, let's do it. And he say, okay. He sent me tickets, everything, and I came to North North Carolina. It was first destination in the United States. And training camp training camp for Don Don Turner's training camp. Okay. And obviously you, you know, you turned professional March the nineteenth, two thousand and ten. You boxed in Kentucky and obviously it was on the same card as Sergei Kovalev. Um it didn't last very long though. You got the guy out of there, first round knockout Evgeny. What do you remember from your pro debut? <laughs> Actually, actually, I remember that uh, that fight because it was first professional fight. I mean, because it's different. It's not amateur. Believe me, I I I feel it like like a new person in boxing <laughs> because it's, it looks like different. In small gloves without headgear, a little bit uh, confused for me, but. Yes, it was not so difficult opponent, but I I won first round TKO. It was like you know good, uh, good step for professional. Yeah, it was good opponent for good opponent for me because if it would be a little bit maybe stronger opponent, it would be maybe different fight. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe, but like I say, a very good start, a first yeah. round. No, but no, nobody, nobody knows. Yeah, <laughs> a first round knockout though in the in in, in the in, in your debut, like I say, and by 2013, you were already 15 and 0, and that's when, of course, you got your shot at the world title against the champion Billy Dib, March the first, 2013. Tell me what you remember about that night, a split decision win. Oh, <laughs> this is was very, you know. Interesting, because my managers call me and say, "Okay, we have five weeks uh, preparation, but it's title fight. Uh, you, you understand, it's not too much for preparation. But I say, okay, let me thinking about that. Maybe one, two, three days. I will, I, I will let you know what I what I think, and maybe um, I." I told a lot about that, but maybe next day I call call my manager. A lot of friend, a lot of my friends say me, "Let's do it. You 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 will lose nothing, but it's title fight." I say yes, correct. It's, it will be perfect. And uh, I call my manager, say, "Let's do it." And we did it. And how did it feel to become world champion? Oh, actually, you know, it's like like never before. You feel this moment when when uh, uh, said at the new champion. It, this is moment. I don't know. Maybe you never feel feel it like that because I don't know. It's once a life can be like that. You feel very 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 perfect. <laughs> I don't know how how to say it for sure. Uh, nobody knows probably, but because it was very amazing time for me i had more title fights next but it wasn't like like first first title yeah it was very perfect yeah 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 and like like i say ended in a split decision win obviously you were the underdog going into the fight you mentioned you didn't have lots of time to prepare just under five weeks um just talk me through the fight because obviously you had to you had to, you know, fight stronger, fight better. You had to dig deep like you hadn't done before in a professional ring to get the win. Yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't easy fight. It was a difficult fight for me, but I, I felt, I felt very perfect in that moment. And I, I thought I, I won without uh, something, some problem because I feel perfectly in the fight. But split decision is, it's not my opinion, but. Judges, judges gave uh, their decision, but it is what it is. But anyway, I won that fight, and thanks God about for that. Absolutely, and again, you defended your belt uh, one time against Maurizio Munoz before giving Billy Dib a rematch. Now, obviously, you you said it there. You didn't really agree in the first fight. It should have been a split decision. You don't agree with that, so you give him the rematch. You drop him in the sixth round, and then you knock him out in the ninth round. How did it feel to finally close the book, if you like? Now it's no longer uh, close. You knocked him out. That's it. Finished. Yes, actually, I deserve everybody that uh, first fight. I won for sure. That's, that's why I deserve in second fight in very much. I knocked him down in sixth round, probably, and, and he's... Uh, and stop the fight in ninth round. So it was still no bad fight. Uh, Billy Deep was no bad, but uh, actually I did what I, I have to do because I prepared very well. 
decent training camp, good sparring partners, good preparation, good everything. And I deserve that. I, I, I deserve to win that fight. Absolutely. And like I say, you then defended against Alexander Miskachian. Uh, then you drew against Jason Velez. Now, there were some very different scorecards on that night against Jason Velez. One judge gave it to you by quite a few points. The other judge gave it to him. The other judge had it a draw. Um, how do you how do you feel that fight should have been scored? Do you feel like you were unlucky to get a draw against Velez? Uh, actually, actually, a fight against Velez. I think Velez think that he lost that fight because after after fight after decision he come to me and say congratulations you 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 won this fight thank you so much actually nothing bad for Velez because it was good fight I won that fight I I believe and he come after fight and said that he lost everything actually everything good I I keep my title and moving forward so. Actually, everything good about this fight. And then you came to London to box Lee Selby. Um, you know, you were beaten for the first time in your career. You also lost your title. It ended with an eighth-round technical decision because your, you, you know, your right eye was severely cut. Tell me about that fight because that didn't look like the Evgeny Gradovich that we seen before that fight. Actually, uh, I can't tell you about it because you're from England. <laughs> I just kidding. Uh, yes, actually, it was. I don't know. It for me, it was good fight. I I, I feel good, and I, I I didn't think I lost that fight. But anyway, any day, you know, it's it was it was England and uh, Billy D from England. But oh, Billy D, um, Lisa, yeah. But nothing bad. About that, uh, I I I'm respect I, I respect him and he maybe deserve he probably deserves to win so nothing nothing bad about that but my my opinion my opinion I won this fight but it is what it is and obviously after life going sorry go on uh-huh. sorry go on Billy. No, it's okay. no, no, it's okay. Good. Now, after that, obviously, you had two wins over Aldemar Silva and Jesus Galicia, but they were split decision wins and majority decision wins. At that point, Evgeny, did you perhaps feel like maybe you were on the decline, perhaps? Because, you know, you had the, you had the, uh, the draw against Velez, but you should have won. You lost the technical decision against Selby. Then you get a split decision and a majority decision. Did you feel like maybe your best days were behind you at that point, or not? No, 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 no. Probably that fight it wasn't, wasn't perfect for preparation, yeah. something like that, because I fought probably different countries. And I prepare one country and move to different countries. Maybe not acclimatization very well. And, you know, I didn't feel perfect in that fight. But anyway, yeah. Uh, after that, I, I, I went to Russia. My, my, my two last fights was in Russia. Yes, f- f- first fight was uh, probably Ausebio Seho. I came one week before fighting. I don't know. I know everybody can say I'm not right and something like that, but I feel acclimatization was not very well because one week after when you travel from the United States to Russia, it's very small time and 
I won that fight, but it was probably split decision. Yeah, but my last fight, I prepared in Russia for eight months, uh, eight weeks, and it was perfect fight for me. Uh, my last fight. Yeah, my last fight. Berrio, that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you mentioned well, you missed out there. The, obviously, the fight against Oscar Valdez. Is that a bad memory looking back now? No, it's okay. It's okay. It's not a problem. What did you think of that fight there? Because obviously Valdez is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a featherweight, but, you know, he, he could really punch for a featherweight. Probably the hardest puncher in the division, perhaps. Yes, yes. It was a bad fight for me, actually. He had uh, good good moments. I had good moments. But he, he knocked me down. Uh, probably it was fourth round. But it was... I didn't feel some dizzy or something like that. I, I stand and I feel... Good for keep going to fight, but George stopped the fight. I not I disagree about it, but anyway, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, I just you know, I just uh, wish Oscar Valdez only best thing because he great fighter anyway. Yeah, for sure. It's my my opinion. Yeah. And like like you said, you had the two fights, the two wins, the you know the the win against Oseho and Berrio, and then obviously after that, Evgeny, you were forced to retire from boxing due to no, actually, actually no, I not, didn't stop after that. I prepare for next fight. Okay, tell me. I prepare for next fight. Yeah, it was uh, mandatory probably for uh, for IBF eliminator. Okay. Uh, for super. Bantamweight because after after Oscar Valdez I I I'll begin I moved to weight division yeah one twenty two and I I already won title to last fight I last fight I won two two intercontinental titles WBO and WBA and next fight I had to fight uh, some guy from Australia against I'm sorry I forget his name it was meant to be, for IBF, IBF Eliminator. Oh, I prepare um, for fight. Was it one of the Maloney brothers? No, 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 not Maloney. Hmm. It's uh, maybe Ireland or uh, he from Australia. He already lost his time. Ah, is it TJ Doheny? TJ Doheny, yes. yes. yes, yes. I prepare for this that fight. We have to fight in Russia. I prepare probably. Around five, maybe weeks already, and uh, my old problem, uh, my vision. So I begin feel feel much worse for my vision when I prepare when, when I prepare for fight. It's, it's getting worse and worse and worse because it's big, big, you know, uh, a lot of training, and uh, I feel not very comfortable. And uh, I came to my coach and said. Probably no more for me because I know it's for me it was difficult decision, but I have to because you know life is going on and I have to be feel perfect good for my family for everybody who who with me and uh, I I said my coach probably no more because I feel not not perfectly already. See, that's it's, it's obviously such a sad ending because again, you were you were in a position to make another run, and you know, no one knows how good you may have been at at super bantamweight at yeah. one twenty two. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I actually, you know, I didn't feel my 
weight, my weight don't worry me, and uh, I feel perfect. I thought uh, I can, I can win, I can get fight of for super bantamweight, but it is what it is. And Evgeny, do you? I can't tell something more. Do you? Uh, uh-huh. Do you kind of perhaps not now because it's been a couple of years? But do you miss boxing? Do you ever kind of feel sad that you can't box again? Every day, I wake and say, and think I, I I will be back, but no, <laughs> I can't do this. My my wife said if you will be <laughs> if you will be back to boxing, I will divorce with you. <laughs> Because she take care about me, you know, about our family. So no, no need risk for that. Well, the the brilliant thing, obviously, is that you are in the history books, and no one can tell you that you're not. You've won a world title. You've had the the big fights. I want to ask you just a couple of quick questions, Evgeny, just to finish it all off. Um, who would you say is the best fighter mm-hmm. that you've ever shared a ring with in the professional game? Uh, Juan Manuel Marquez, my favorite fighter. Yeah. Did you ever get to? Did you ever get to do any rounds with him at all? No, no, no. He's he 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 finished career in one forty seven. I can't spark him. <laughs> yeah, he he began from one twenty six. It's good. It's my world division, but and and who is the best fighter that you have had a fight against? Uh, the best fighter. Yeah. Probably it was uh, Oscar Valdez. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, he he was the best fighter who I fought. And what about the best fighter that you ever sparred? Because obviously you was in that Robert Garcia boxing gym. There was lots and lots of guys coming through that gym. Brilliant fighters. Were you there mm-hmm. the same time as the likes of Maidana and all those guys? Yeah, <laughs> actually, I didn't spar Maidana, but uh, I sparred. Uh, Mikey Garcia, who right now one of the best fighters in the yeah, world, so. brilliant fighter. Yeah, it it was a great sparring session for me, for him too. So when he prepared to fight, when I prepared to fight, so so it was perfect time for me for him. And we always uh, remember that sparring session. So it was perfect. I I got a lot from Mikey. Is he the best fighter you ever sparred? Uh. Probably, probably, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I'm a massive fan of Mikey. He's uh, he's an incredible fighter. Um, I actually, I yeah, thought, he's good. I thought, he's good. He's great person. Like, yeah, no, I know. Just, yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful no. person. I actually thought he was gonna beat Errol Spence. I I really did. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know. Oh. But okay. I want to ask you, Evgeny, <laughs> what are you up to nowadays, now that you haven't boxed for a couple of years? I know that I can hear your kids in the background. It sounds really fun. Are you enjoying yourself? Are you enjoying life? Yeah, I'm enjoying myself. I enjoy my family. You know, it's the best time in the world. <laughs> my family is... I very love my family, so... Excellent. Yes, I, I miss about boxing, but it is what it is. My manager, Agis Klimas, gave me a work here in Oxnard, California, where I live. So, life is going on. I am happy. 
Absolutely. Anyway, any day, yeah. And just finally, Evgeny, I want to ask you this question. I like to ask this question to everyone that we speak to from different uh-huh. countries. If I asked you who is your favourite fighter from the UK in history, uh-huh. who is your favourite British fighter? Okay. <laughs> let me let me think, please. From UK. Difficult question. <laughs> I can help you with some names if you want. It will be perfect if you um, can. So you've got Joe Kawasaki, you've got Ricky Hatton, you've got Lennox Lewis, you've got Prince Nassim Hamed. Those guys, people always say. Yeah, you, you, that's all you say. I want to say maybe Nassim Hamed because it's the same weight division. Yeah. But, but uh, Lennox Lennox Lewis was the best fighter from United Kingdom. Yeah, I I, I think so. Yeah, phenomenal fighter. He is still good person who I see in um, some boxing uh, boxing uh, channels. He's still feeling good. And he looks like he can fight. Still, he can still fight. <laughs> and Evgeny just but 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 but. Ricky Fhatton is perfect, perfectly fighter. I think so because you know I like uh, fight like fight for fight. Some great boxing, but Ricky Hatton was uh, like a warrior, great warrior. He he just want to fight, not don't think about some defense or something like that. That's why I I like him too. Evgeny, just finally, obviously, I'm sure oh, yeah. you know the UK boxing fans are, are massive, massive boxing fans. They love boxing. Um, what is your final message to anyone that's listening to this interview from the UK that has been a fan of yours over the years? Oh, actually, I wish everybody all the best. You know, uh, thank you, ev- everybody who remember who is the, the Mexican Russian Evgeny Gradovich for. You know, thanks a lot for all boxing fans for who who like me, who hate me. Anyway, it's anyway, it's, it's perfectly. And uh, all all people in the world, I wish all the best. Excellent, Evgeny. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, my friend. I wish you lots of happiness. Have a great Christmas. Okay, thank- a Happy New Year, and I'm sure we'll speak again sometime soon. Oh, okay, perfect. So, thank you so much. Very. It sounds like I a little bit back to my boxing career. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, and this wraps up episode 217 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been his usual self, Ayaz Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the top super lightweight world contender, Mr. Michael Fox, and the former IBF featherweight world champion, Mr. Evgeny Gradovich. Bit of a random interview, that one. I like to throw in a random name here and there. Um, There's no more news to mention. There's no predictions, unfortunately, this week. Hopefully, we will see that return real soon i just want to end by thanking you all once again for listening to this week's podcast remember to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend please leave us a review on itunes if you do get the chance they really do mean a lot the reviews and we shall see you all again next week enjoy your weekends